Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time. Our host for today's episode is Joseph Boot. Welcome back to the uh, podcast for cultural reformation. Uh, here we are again in the Knox Cellar for uh, Worldview Wednesday, and I'm here with uh, Ryan Eras and Nathan Oblak, and I'm Joe Boot. And this is a special, a very special podcast for us today uh, because we have a guest. You know, from time to time, we uh, bring a guest in on our podcast, and a slightly more unusual guest as well because <laughs> we don't often have uh, musicians. And uh, uh, people in the arts uh, come onto the the program. We should maybe look at that policy, right? Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, the arts are one of those spheres that uh, that God has control over, right? So these are totally lawful things that we ought to be looking into. Absolutely. And uh, we have uh, we've recently made a new friend in the U.S. and uh, his name is John Cooper, and uh, he is the uh, founder, lead singer, bassist of uh, Skillet. Uh, I think it was founded in, uh, the band was founded in 1996. And we are uh, really honored that uh, John has taken some time today to join us for our Worldview Wednesday uh, podcast. So welcome, John. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to be here with you. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, we've got a few uh, things in, in common with John that we've, uh, we've, we've learned about. First of all, they've got snow down there in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. so that made us feel mm-hmm. immediately more comfortable up here <laughs> I in think, Canada. Uh, I think he's probably technically up there in Wisconsin compared Thank to you, us. Ryan. I mean, I don't know. Just uh, out of guess. <laughs> <laughs> he could well be, actually, as you draw a line across the border there. Yeah, we, we could be well south of you, in fact. Mm. Certainly from Niagara, right? Yeah. So... Um, uh, John has got some snow, um, and I'm going to let our listeners into a just a very small secret that uh, I keep close to my chest, which yeah. is that, um, <laughs> one I, of many. When I first began in ministry, um, it was in the rock music industry in uh, in England. Um, uh, my brothers and I had a band called it was very original, the Boot Brothers. Oh, are you English? That's true. Yes, I'm English. <laughs> and um, look at his mug. There you oh, go. Yeah, good. And uh, we, uh, we, we toured professionally for a few years and um, um, made our way through various music festivals and hotels. And that's where I started preaching the gospel. So I, start, I used to preach after our concerts. And I got to a point where I realized uh, I wanted to speak more than play lead guitar. So that was, the, that was the beginnings for me. So it's a real blessing to have John with us. And I'm not going to uh, use up this time to talk about um, uh, all my yesterdays, but actually talk to John. So, John... Um, why don't you just begin by some people who are listening to us will know exactly who Skillet is and will think, wow, how did the Ezra Institute get John Cooper from Skillet onto their show? And there'll be others who will be saying, I don't know, uh, don't know who Skillet are. Who, who is Skillet? They may be looking right now on their phone to find out uh, who is Skillet. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about who Skillet is, uh, how the band came about, because I know your wife's in the band as well, and a little bit about the ministry of, of Skillet. Absolutely. Well, the good news is, is that I think if you go and Google Skillet now, I'm pretty sure that the band is the first thing that comes up rather than uh, a cooking show. 
It used to be a cooking show, and I think we've officially become the first thing that pops up. So if people want to know whose skill it is, go you go check it out. But yes, we started in 1996, which uh, may, makes me made me feel insanely old when you announced it. But um, yes, rock band. Uh, we're a Christian rock band, and we st- began in the Christian music industry. You might want to call it that way, and then we got signed by Atlantic Records in 2003. And so we've been really blessed. We've been able to do Christian music, but uh, go over to the mainstream market and uh, sing about our faith and talk about our faith in interviews. And that's something that, that we are always very passionate about, was telling, telling the world about the great love of Christ, the amazing great news of Jesus that, um, you know, that I guess maybe a good way to say it is this, that when I was in high school, I graduated in 93. The 90s was a very, very dark era, right? It was a very nihilistic era. Um, very, uh, I think of Fight Club, you know, the movie Fight Club or, or the book even Fight Club and Nine Inch Nails. I mean, it was a very dark decade. Suicide rates had risen in the 90s. And I wanted to tell people that their lives mattered and, and their lives didn't just matter because it was one of my good ideas. Their lives mattered because they were created by a creator who created them in his own image. And I wanted to tell people about the great news of Christ. And I I couldn't think of a better way to do it than music, because music is what, for me personally, music made me feel better. You know, I would have a bad day. I wanted to hear music. But if I had a good day, I wanted to hear music. If I was going to the gym, I wanted to hear music. Um, And music was a very... uh, uh, important thing to identify is groups of friends. You know, a lot of people in the nineties, you, you'd know what kind of music they listened to by the way they looked, you know, all the grunge <laughs> kids with their hair, you know, and it, you knew that they were identified by it. And I thought this would be a great way to, to spread the news of, of Jesus Christ. And so that's why Skillet started. And um, I've been passionate about that, that uh, evangelism ever since I was uh, in high school. So John, um, it's interesting you you, you connect uh, connect what you're doing to evangelism and 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 the whole idea of the kingdom of God, and you mentioned that um, you started in 1996. And before the show, we were just talking a little bit about the fact that you saw so many of these musical outfits uh, appear in the states who were broadly Christian in the 90s, and many of them today are are no more. Um, they're, they're either, they either lost their way and, and, uh, sort of left the faith, um, or they've kind of disappeared. What's the secret? I mean, uh, music is, as you know, better than me, uh, is something that uh, goes through different eras and phases. And, and you often find that, especially in the pop industry now, musicians are always trying to reinvent themselves, uh, to, you know, stay up with the latest sound, or at least some are. Um, you seem to have had a really consistent witness in this. Um, tell us wh- why Skillet's still around. Is it related to this passion to evangelism? Why are you still here and all these others gone? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, certainly uh, that's <laughs> in, you know, in the providence of God. We all know that. It almost doesn't need to be said, but I always like to say it because truth is I don't know. <laughs> don't know uh, exactly <laughs> But that's how God has it. Um, 
if there's anything I can look back on and, and, and say that Skillet did that many others didn't do that I think is very, very important. Uh, when I was in college, I got very passionate about the kingdom of God. And I say the kingdom of God because I already was a Christian before college, but I had never even really, that I recalled, really heard the phrase, the kingdom of God, really until college. And I began to, to read you know, my Bible more, and I began to read some books that really opened my eyes up to the fact, well, I guess, in, in, like on this program, you would call it the culture mandate, right? From Genesis, to go into the world. and to bring dominion to the earth. And it was in that time that I began to have a real passion for the church. I'd always gone to church, but I didn't realize that the church was going to be the instrument of bringing the kingdom of God to, to, to earth, you know, through the Holy Spirit, of course. And so it was then that I decided if we did play in a band and if we did tour, that we would be more of a ministry of the church. So we wouldn't be just doing our own thing, itinerant speaker, you know, like some of the, the itinerant speakers, they go on the road for years at a time, and they're not part of a, of a local body where they have relationship, and, and, and you're, you know, you're, you're uh, what is the, the scripture says, uh, that we are living stones set side by side, and a lot of ministers don't have those living stones, they just go do their thing, and so we decided uh, and in fact, we moved away from Tennessee, which is the hub of Christian music, yep. all the way up to Wisconsin because my wife's uh, dad is a pastor and we had a local church that we really loved and wanted to be a part of. So I think one of the things that, that God used to really protect us was that we we are sent out by the church as uh, sort of evangelists, if you will, mm -hmm. to go out and spread the gospel. But we get to come back in relationship with the elders of my church and the people that we're not only accountable to, but that we, that we do the work together. So I see it very much like, like a, a function of the body of Christ. And I think a lot of bands, they, they just kind of go do their thing and they become an island. And before you know it, they, they make, they make little uh, compromises and they end up so far adrift, mm -hmm. so far adrift from the gospel that they didn't even know it. You know, it's really sad. Yeah, that's um, that's quite a that's quite a remarkable insight, and actually fundamentally unusual. I mean, it's not only is it uh, is it difficult to tie some of the itinerant type uh, speakers, evangelists down in local church community, but uh, actually thinking through the, the 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 mission of music and uh, your role in that uh, in relationship to the life of the local church and the importance of being rooted and so forth. Uh, I think is, um, is 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 a powerful insight in terms of how to stay grounded. I mean, millions of people. Um, I think I was looking at one of your music videos the other day, and I think it had two hundred and twenty million views. I mean, that's a that's a lot of people uh, listening to 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 your music. Um, uh, do you think that um, that groundedness in the life of the local church just when when a certain amount of fame, certain amount of uh, notoriety, a certain amount of popularity comes to people, whether they're preachers, pastors, uh, apologists, whatever it may be, musicians, um, that can play a role, I think, in some of that drift if we start believing our own press. Um, did, the, did, the, did that embeddedness in the life of the local church help you to deal with some of the dealing with actually success? 
Right. Oh, I think I think that's a great point. You know, um, I think as we're in with all things, you know, it's uh, this is going to be the dumbest statement you've ever had on your program. I'm about to say the dumbest, obvious thing. I doubt but it. It's true. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's great. Bible theology will save you from all the stuff. And I find that in relationship, you know, my, my church leaders remind me of good Bible theology. And it, it's all it's all based into this, that if God decides to bless your art or your ministry or your business, if he begins to bless that with with you know fame or fortune or whatever that may be, that's just all within the blessing of God. You didn't do anything to earn or deserve that. And in fact, it doesn't even it doesn't even prove that you have good art. Art is, is subjective. You can be an amazing musician and have nobody like your music. It, it's all going to be dependent on, um, on what the, uh, the potter decides to do with the clay, you know? So I've always found that in God may choose to bless us in, in, a, in this way, or God may, may choose to not give it in abundance, but to just be a, a clarion call for the gospel. And whatever he chooses is fine with me. So I think that Having my wife in the band certainly is a great thing to help kind of uh, protect me from all of that nonsense about believing your own press and thinking <laughs> I'm an amazing musician uh, or, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think that it all goes back to just good, simple Bible theology that all things are made for him and by him and they're all for his glory. And, and I, I'm so happy to, to be able to do my, my part in that. And John, you mentioned your, your wife being in the band. I know you've got two children as well, and, and they've traveled all over the world with you over the years. Just just tell us um, a little bit about um, how that's shaped your faith and your perspective on the faith, uh, traveling with your wife and children, and, and what that's meant for your lives as, as, as Christians in terms of how you've had to educate your kids and so on. How, how has that, in what way has that shaped your faith and your application of the faith? Yeah, you know, we... We had decided, uh, my wife, me and I, when we were first married, we were like, you know, I don't, we don't know if we'll have kids, but if we do, it'll be after skillet because we, we don't want to raise them in a van on the road, you know? <laughs> and I didn't think skillet would last very long. I, I thought it would be like four or five years. I thought nobody's going to listen to this music. And after five or six years, we'll quit and we'll move on. We'll have kids. And Skillet just kept going. I mean, it just kept going and it would, it, it, it didn't get big overnight. It, it just grew like inch by inch by inch. And at some point I just said to core, uh, sorry, I call my wife core. Um, I said to core, Hey, I don't know if skill is ever going to quit. And I don't know if, I don't know why, but I started, I had a dream that we had a kid. I don't know if that was the weird pizza that I ate or if it was just a bizarre dream, but I had a dream we had a kid and I began praying about it and tell you the truth, I kind of feel like we were meant to have kids. What do you think? And we prayed together about it. And uh, we just said, hey, if, if God blesses, blesses us with a kid, then, then we know it's the Lord, right? So uh, we just said, if God's going, if it's God's plan, then he gives grace to do what he calls you to do, right? That's part of what grace is. And so, Lo and behold, we got pregnant. We thought, okay, we're bringing kids on the road, I guess. Now we're that family. 
So I always tell people that we're like the Osbournes, but redeemed in Christ. And so um, we got to go on the road and we taught our kids on the road. And, and I will tell you guys, uh, I really hope this is an encouragement to anybody listening to the program that has children or wants to have children. The, the role that, that, that you play as a parent in your kids' discipleship is so huge. And I got to see that. Because, you know, sometimes I think that sometimes I think that Christian parents think, oh, my kids will learn about Christ at Sunday school or my kids will learn about Christ at whatever program, you know, um, vacation Bible school. Your kids will learn about Christ from you. And I got to live that out on the road and I got to begin to see the incredible evangelism opportunities from my children when they were small. And, and I'll give you an example. This is a story. Um, we were going on tour with a secular band. Uh, we were the opener. So this band was much bigger than us. And about a week before the tour, the, uh, the, the singer of the other band, his brother killed himself, uh, jumped out. They were on tour and he, he jumped out of a window. And so the tour started and my family was uh, praying, you know, we would pray for him at night in the bus and things like that. And my little girl at the time was about six years old. And so on the way one day to catering, my little daughter said something to this, to this singer, this band. And she said, hi, I want you to know that I've been praying to Jesus for you every night, praying that Jesus will give peace to your family. And it was this moment of, I didn't have the boldness to say that because I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this guy, but it's that feeling of when a little kid does it, you know, it's like a, it all of a sudden it just, um, it disarms everyone around and people can see the, the, sometimes people can see the purity of truth from a child because there's no illusions and no agenda. There's no agenda. She, she, all she just really wanted God to touch this family. And I've got a thousand stories like that. You know, my daughter led someone's kid to the Lord on, on that we were touring with once on, on the road. And so it was, it was just a really great opportunity to really be that influence in, in their lives. So that was pretty cool. That's fantastic. So John, we're going to um, change gear a little bit now. Um, having um, got a, uh, given people a bit of sense of your, uh, of your ministry. And, you know, we've, um, We've all been, uh, um, you know, tuning in to some of your music videos to get a better, better sense of your music. Uh, and um, one of the things, of course, Ryan already had it because, you know, Ryan was already a big fan. Right. Uh, you've heard about that already. He yeah. was he was there for the, what was the tour called, Ryan? I, I was there on the Alien Youth Tour in 2001. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that is amazing. Mm -hmm. And we've been playing it a lot around here the last few weeks. Yeah. So. Um, awesome. So, John. One of, one of the things that, as you know, we do as an institute is talk about how do we think Christianly about every area of life, that, that, that the Christian faith is not just about me and my personal relationship with Jesus and that I'm going to heaven, but rather it's about getting the kingdom of heaven down into us and to having our minds being renewed by the, by the, the renewal, by the transformation of our minds so that we can then uh, apply the faith to to every area of life, and so if you're a, a a Christian, if you're a lawyer, it's not just about being a lawyer who says prayers and does a Bible study, but actually thinking about law Christianly. And if you're a, a teacher, it's not just about um, being a teacher who has a Bible study with other Christian teachers, 
uh, but about how do we think about education Christianly? And so you're in this in this industry, um, the Christian music uh, world, uh, but in the musical world, just more generally, you're 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 a musician. All kinds of people listen to you. Um, is there is there a difference uh, between? Well, we think there is, of course. I think we're agreed on that. We know that it's 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 when we think about uh, being a Christian and thinking Christianly about music, it's not just that we sing songs about Bible stories or about things that are in Scripture. Uh, so, is to explore with us a little bit uh, how you tend to think about your faith in the arts and the distinction that there may be between. Um, Christian music or the Christian music industry and um, uh, and doing music, being a musician uh, from a Christian world and life view perspective. In other words, when, when, when Handel um, wrote the score for the Messiah, I'm pretty sure he wasn't sat in that room there thinking, you know, well, I'm part of this Christian music community. You know, how can I um, how can I write a really, you know, uh, a score here that's that's kind of going to be big in the Christian music world? Uh, it was more he just wanted to write a score to the glory of God. H- how can you um, how, how have you thought about that issue? Because you've been in you are in both worlds. You minister to both. Help us understand a bit more about the way you think about that and how you think about Christian world and life you influencing and shaping your music. Right. Yeah, I think this is a very difficult topic because there are so many different ways to go about that. And I, I will pass along some amazing advice that I, that I got one time from a Christian musician. Um, people may remember the band DeGarmo and Key. That was a big group when I was growing up. And uh, Dana Key, who was the singer for the group, uh, is kind of a mentor to me. And, and he's actually the one who signed us to our Christian label. And I remember saying to him when I was first signed, it was probably 1997. And I said, Dana, I said, here's the thing. I don't want to just play music for Christian people. I want to play music for all kinds of people. I want to go to the world. And I said, I don't think that, I don't think the world really minds if we sing about Jesus, you know? And, and Dana said something to me that I will never, he, he's actually passed away a few years back, but I will never forget this. Dana said, here's the deal, John. He said, if you talk about Jesus, the world and the industry will think you're really cool. But if you actually live a life for, if you actually live out the words of Jesus, the industry will hate you. And I actually thought it was at the time I thought I recognized the wisdom of it, but I thought, I don't know if that'll be true for me. I thought it was really a great, a, a, a great truth because people love the idea of spirituality. You know, people love the idea of the ethical words of Jesus, right? You know, only the, the nice ethical words of Jesus, right? They, they love your neighbor, turn the other cheek, feed the poor. I mean, even, even the pagans like that. I think what happens is that when, when the industry sees that you are actually serious about living for Jesus, that's when there, there begins to be a problem. That's when there begins to be a, it's the exclusivity of you know, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. It's the exclusiveness of that that's the problem. So for me, uh, I've always thought I want my music to go to the world. I want to tell people about Christ. Not every song has to be religious. Not every song has to be, you know, um, 
in fact, have like lots of lots of fans that don't even know that Skillet was a Christian band until they heard an interview or until they they read something online of why I wrote a song. Uh, for instance, I was touring in Russia and um, somebody asked me, we have a song called Hero. And he said, well, who is your hero? Who did you write the song for? And I said, oh, my hero is, is, is uh, Jesus Christ. And, and he says, um, uh, Jesus Christ, too. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> no way. <laughs> Showed how Western I was. Jesus who? And so we had this conversation. And, and by the end of it, he says, oh, you mean Jesus of Nazareth? And then he says to me in an interview, he said, are you saying that Jesus is actually, you believe that Jesus is also God? And I was like, okay, my, my all of my worldview is getting rocked. I'm like, oh, not in Kansas anymore. There are places in the world that don't know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, that that's what we mean. And so that's what I believe that music should be. I think that the hard thing is, is that the Christian music industry began because there was not, there, there were no doors open for people to sing about Christ. And so I look at that and I go, yeah, but what about the Doobie Brothers? You know, Jesus, remember Jesus is just all right. right. Remember that great yeah. song? Covered um, by DC Talk, as I recall. What'd you it was, say? It was, it was covered by DC Talk later on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a good cover, actually, too. And, well, the Doobie Brothers saying about Jesus, but yeah, but the name of their band was a <laughs> was about marijuana. So the yeah. difference is, is that the world, uh, they don't mind you singing about Jesus unless you believe the words of Jesus in reality. That's what's difficult. And we're seeing that now, aren't we? We're seeing that if you, if you say things that are exclusively about Christ, your business can get canceled. Those doors will be shut to you. And, and, and that's what I think is really hard. So I, for one, I am not down on the Christian music industry. I know why it exists. It exists because it uh, it exists for the same reason that Parlor used to exist. You know, Parlor existed because you weren't allowed to say some of the things you wanted to say on Twitter, and that's why Christian music is there. But the problem is, is that I do believe we should be making music that goes into the world, and that, be- in my view, that begins to to invade the darkness with the kingdom of God. And, and, and that to me is based on the, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail, right? They, you know, the gates of hell um, are, are standing there and the kingdom of God, I believe, is going into the world and it will overcome the darkness and, until this world has been turned into to the dominion of Christ. So, I very much believe in that, but I think that we're still trying to all work through how can we make that happen. So I would say Skillet has definitely been blessed to be able to to do that. But as I see it, it's only possible through, for me, like the miraculous power of the spirit, because it it shouldn't have happened, but it has happened. Well, it's fantastic to hear um, not only that you know, that uh, from someone who is is doing is trying seeking to live out that vision for for music from a Christian standpoint, but who's also able to recognize all the good that was there and has been done within the, what we would call the Christian music industry. I mean, I remember people way back like Keith Green and Barry Maguire and many of these early sort of pioneers um, who kind of blazed a trail for a lot of, um, for 
as you say, when there was when there was a, no real uh, listening ear out there, there was no access for many of these fantastic Christian music, musicians, and they actually started to to make a way. And um, when music is being done really effectively and well and thoughtfully informed by a Christian world and life view, there's no reason why it can't become uh, more engaging from the, for for the average listener out there in a given genre than uh, anything that the uh, that the non-believer is producing. You know, excellence has to be something that we're aiming at. Yeah, I, I actually very much agree with that, you know, um, and I, I haven't gotten to say yet on the program, and I'm sure we will at some point, but I should say it for all the listeners. I got to brag on your book, The Mission of God, how much I absolutely love this book. And, um, you know, I, 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 I very much agree with much of the, it's the fact that I think that I think that some Christians, because of their maybe it's even because of their eschatology, perhaps because of their eschatology, they kind of believe that we should be kind of set apart, almost like we don't need to go into the world to see that sort of transformation. We're going to be set apart. But I do believe in that, as you say, the, the excellence and the power of God doing everything you do, whether you're a plumber or a musician or a school teacher, whatever you do, you do it unto the glory of God. And through that, God is going to bless it because that's how, that's the process of reaping and sowing, isn't it? So I very much believe in that. But I do hope that we get to talk about Mission of God, too, because I love the book so much. And all of your listeners should go read it. It's long. It's 500 pages. I read the entire book in four days. That's how much oh, I man. love that book. Wow. <laughs> well, and 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 John, speaking of books, uh, many of us are aware of your evangelism through your music, but uh, a lot of us aren't aware that you also evangelize through your writing. You've you've got a new book that's come out, uh, "Awake and Alive to Truth," where you tackle postmodernism, relativism, popular view of the goodness of man. These are some of the topics you dig into in your book, and maybe you could share a little bit about why you chose to write about those topics. Uh, why you think they're important for discussion right now? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not an extremely academic person. Uh, when I was in college, I got captured by the gospel in, in, in an incredible way. And I did have a love for theology, even in college. N not that I'm a, a theologian, not that I understood it deeply, but the theology that I understood uh, just captured me and 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 it 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 was just like it, i got i just got so uh it was so wonderful to have answers for the things that my friends didn't have answers for like why are we even here why are we created in the first place it was so wonderful to me that that deep theology uh grounded me and i and i lived off of it for years but what happened to me was around 2012 2012, I began seeing, okay, all of culture is changing. I don't understand what's happening. At first, I thought, this might be funny. At first, I thought that I was just getting old. Maybe I'm just getting old to a place that I, I don't understand people. They're using this language that I don't understand um, about uh, her truth, my truth. I was just thinking, why are people saying it like that? I just thought it was young people talking. I was getting old and I didn't understand what they were on about. And I began to see people say things from the pulpit 
you know, that, that were also sort of off. And I, I wasn't a deep theologian, but I was like, okay, I've been a Christian for decades and I do not understand the language that these people are using. And now I know that that language is very tied to social justice and it's very tied to progressive Christianity, but I, I had never heard those terminologies at that time. And when I began seeing it happen in public, I, I, was, I was scared and concerned. What really rocked me though, is that it began to come into the Christian music circles. The Christian music circles began to talk about being woke and being social justice warriors. And I, and I knew that I didn't, I didn't agree with what they were saying, but I didn't always know why. And then it came home. And when I say it came home, what I mean is people that I had known for 20 years, 10 years, 15 years, people that love Jesus, that love the gospel of Christ. All of a sudden, those people, some of them started falling away from the faith altogether. And I couldn't believe it because I, I, thought, I was like, man, I thought we were going to, I thought we were going to be running the race. You know, we're running the race together all the way to the finish line for Christ. And now you don't even believe in uh, the scripture is, is authoritative. You don't even believe that the scripture is actually the word of God. How could this possibly happen? So in 2012, I know this is the longest answer ever, sorry, but 2012, I began to be on a mission to find out what was happening in culture that I wasn't understanding. What I discovered after about four years of reading, I, I read about 200 books, and I read about philosophy, economics, um, culture studies, theologians. I finally came to the conclusion that, that the underpinnings of society had changed. In other words, the worldview of society was no longer what, what we had taken for granted, which was a Judeo-Christian worldview of absolute truth and so on and so forth that that's not the case anymore. We're in a postmodern world. People don't believe there is such a thing as truth. And, and that remarkably had come into the church. And so now you have theology <laughs> that doesn't believe in absolute truth. And that's what I call postmodern Christianity or progressive Christianity. There's lots of words for it. So I didn't know there were people like Bodie Balcom uh, James White at The Dividing Line, who's a great friend of mine now, of course, and uh, the Just Thinking podcast. And I began to discover all these people that were out there that were saying these things, and I had no idea. So I'm, I'm very thankful there are so many people speaking out. John, I've, uh, I've got to ask you, uh, we're, uh, we're very pleased that uh, you've, you've been so, uh, so benefited by uh, Joe's book, The Mission of God. But uh, how did uh, we are not, you know, a uh, a big multinational outfit here? How how did that book get into your hands? I got that book from James um, because I, I here here's here's my mission of God story. <laughs> okay, this might make you laugh, but but anyway, so when I was in college, and I I, I know I keep going back. I had I had an awesome pastor. And uh, my mind was, I think I should rewind if you don't mind. I gave my life to Christ when I was five years old. My mom was a Jesus fanatic, okay? So my mom taught me about Jesus, read the Bible to me every day, 
and and I was raised in a very uh, Southern Baptist uh, pre mill um, uh, like tribulation the whole deal, right? You know, the whole thing. And when I was in college is when I I discovered uh, so much great theology. Oh, sorry, let me rewind. Also, I was raised staunchly Armenian as well. And so when I went to college and I started reading some, whether it was John Calvin and and Augustine, and I was reading these great books, it took me into post-millennialism, which I had never even heard of at that time. And so all of a sudden I was like, oh, you mean that the gospel of Christ is going to be victorious on the earth? I had never heard that before. And it just so shook my life that you can hear that in all of my music over the last 20 years. I write so much about, in fact, my latest album is actually called Victorious. I write so much about not just victory in Jesus for our eternal salvation, but victory for the kingdom of God on the earth, victory for the church. I I just got so excited about it. And um, I started discovering that um, that I wasn't the first person that ever loved post-millennialism. I started noticing there was all these great Puritans and Spurgeon, and there was all these people that were preaching these things, you know? And so when, I, when I've been talking to James about lots of various things over the last year, and when I talk to him about government, because government is one of those things that in America, we've almost not ever talked to. I mean, the church is like not ever talked about government. It's almost like we didn't know we needed to talk about government, politics. And, you know, it, politics has become such a battle in America. I mean, people hate each other over politics. And basically what happened was this. When, um, when George Floyd got killed last, what, April, I believe it was. Well, all of a sudden, I started speaking out on my own podcast about the fact of, uh, a lot of people don't know, I live in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We had a guy, a man called Jacob Blake that was shot by the police, you know, last June. I live three blocks away from where all the riots were in Kenosha. So three blocks from my house, you can see where people got shot. You can see where buildings were burned and there were threats to coming to my neighborhood. People were saying, we're going to that neighborhood and we're, we're going to burn it down. And so I came out on social media saying that I think lawlessness is, is, is wrong. Lawlessness is not something that Christians should be in support of. I had friends of mine, basically, I lost friends over that. Let's just say that I lost friends over that that I had gone to church with for decades. And I all of a sudden realized, wait a minute, me and you have a different idea about what justice is because we have a different idea of what God's law means. And you think that it means something different than I think it means, and it's never come up. So all that to say, I began having conversations with James, like, am I crazy? Because there's not many people saying this stuff. And eventually he said, yeah, there's actually a great book on some of this called Mission of God. And I said, Mission of God, who wrote it? And he says, this this guy called Joseph Boot, he used to play an amazing band called the Boot Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) He's a wicked guitar player. No, anyway. So um, I said, wow, if you guys like this book so much, I'll check it out. And so when I read Mission of God, it was illuminating. 
But a lot of what was fantastic to me about Mission of God was that I was like, yeah, these are things that, that, that I believe from the Bible that I believe that, that began in my mission in college. I just hadn't seen them said in this way. I'd never heard of Rush Dooney. And I'm, I'm almost done with my first Rush Dooney book now. And I'm like, how come I've never heard of this? <laughs> this is amazing. And so it was, it was illuminating and I learned a lot from it, but it's become a very pivotal. It's become honestly one of, I would say, six books in my life that, that, that I look back and I said, that was a pivotal book in that time that will stay with me forever. So um, all that to say, I really love the book. It put into words many things that I believe, but it expounded on them in a way that I that that I, I wouldn't have understood. And also another book that I love, I read about four years ago, is a book called Paradise Restored from uh, Chilton. Um, on and at, when I read when I read Chilton's book back in 2016, I was like, this is called Dominion Eschatology. I'd never heard of that before, but I'm like. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely what I believe. And this just makes so much sense to me. And so I'm finding out that there are a lot of people out there saying these things. And I'm, I'm a very big proponent for that. What, well, John, we're, uh, I'm going to, I know these guys have got a, a, a question or two still. Um, but uh, just from a personal point of view, uh, we really, I really appreciate that. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that. Uh, my book was uh, an encouragement to you, and very much appreciate the uh, the shout out. And 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 so I'm going to give a shout out for your book as well. It's called um, Awake and Alive to Truth, I believe. Awake and Alive to Truth, and I think especially for those uh, who we have quite a lot of teens who listen to us, um, uh, because we have a worldview camp and a faith and farming camp, and I really want to encourage some of you to pick up that book by John John Cooper, Awake and Alive to Truth. Nathan, yeah. Well, you mentioned the faith and farm camp and, uh, and John, you mentioned earlier, just the importance of young people developing uh, a worldview that's rooted in scripture, in the truth of scripture. And then they're able to look through all of life Christianly. Um, and, and really that's our mission here at the Ezra Institute to train people to do just that. Uh, and we host something called uh, high impact training programs. And one of them is the faith and farm camp for teens. And uh, for those teens, come and stay at our beautiful 24-acre Ezra Farmstead overlooking Lake Ontario for a week of hands-on environmental stewardship where you'll practice the fundamentals of permaculture farming and creation care, food production and conservation, discover a holistic view of work with foundational training in Christian worldview, including what God's word has to say about our vocations, the environment, the home, the family, and the arts. Special activities include sports, campfires, a movie night, and a harvest hoedown. And you can find information on this program and much more at our website, EzraInstitute.ca. And, you know, maybe at some point we can have John Cooper teach one of these classes at these, uh, at these camps. Yeah, have you, got any, uh, have you got any concerts scheduled in Canada in the next 12 months, John? Well... I'm not with all this pandemic stuff. I'm wondering when when it's going to be allowed. When are we, when are, when are we going to be allowed to do anything, much less go into another country? Uh, oh, it's so crazy. But but you're sounding like your case, friend James White. I would White. love to. I, I think it's so important. I, I love that you're training young people. Young people. I I can't imagine having grown up with the internet. I mean, the internet is just like the an open door 
to the pit of hell. <laughs> it's like these kids, I mean, they're bombarded every day with celebrity tweets, things you have to believe. It's like, it's almost like too much access. And, and these, young, these young people are having to try to decide every day what they are allowed to say, what they are not allowed to say, what they have to believe now, because in their worldview, truth really does change every day. And they have to find out what they're allowed to do. It's so hard. And I think the more we can train young people to say, hey, you know, suicide rates among young people are, are on the rise. Depression is on the rise. Medication for young people is on the rise. Divorce is on the rise. Everything in your life, your in life, is crazy for these kids. But guess what? There is a truth that never changes. You can build your house upon this truth, and you will be unshakable no matter what the world brings. All right. Well, John, I, uh, well, I really appreciate your time, John. Uh, if you have a minute or two before we let you go, uh, we've, uh, we've both been acknowledging the importance of training up youth and the next generation. Uh, as, as a Christian musician, as a a Christian who has sort of crossed over into mainstream music. He's been making, uh, you know, making this your bread and butter. Do you, what advice do you have uh, for aspiring musicians? If, uh, if you have a, Great. you know, one of the things I would say to anybody that wants to go into the arts, your music, film, whatever, for the glory of God, I think I want to say this. You, you can't uh, disassociate, uh, sanctification from art. And, and I want to say that because I think a lot of people really I want to make art for the glory of God. But here's the thing. God is glorified when we bring personal holiness into, into your life, right? When you are being sanctified by the Spirit. I think a lot of people uh, they, they, they go into music and they start, people start telling them that they're amazing or that, that they're famous or whatever it is. And then they sort of disassociate the art they do um, from living out your faith. And I just want to encourage people. I believe that when, that going into music is one of those battlefields because that's where, that's where all of the self-worship really comes in. There's, there's no self-worship like being in a band, you know, and it, because it's all about yourself and it's all about, um, getting on stage, everybody make noise for me. It's all about me, you know? So I think I want to encourage people to watch your back. That's what I'm trying to say, watch your back. Because the enemy wants you to worship yourself. It's the same thing that the serpent said to Eve, right? Yeah, but, you know, that uh, is that really what God said? Don't you want a little bit of the glory for yourself? Don't you want to be your own God? Music will do that. So I would encourage young people, train up on your instrument, train up on your voice, train up on your filmmaking skills, but always make sure you are training yourself in the word and in personal sanctification, because basically the enemy will just render you useless for the kingdom of God. If your life doesn't walk out what you, what you say, you can, 
You can talk all you want to talk, but if you're not being sanctified in the spirit, there will be no power in what you are doing. So I think that's the best advice that I could give. Well, John, um, that's fantastic and uh, very helpful for um, many who will be listening or aspiring to go into the arts. My own daughter is um, uh, classical uh, voice um, training right now, and she's doing a a voice degree and has a aspiring to go into the arts. So it's great to hear such clarity from somebody who's had all these years of experience. We really, really uh, appreciate your time today. Um, We admire skillet we admire what you're doing we have tremendous respect for the example you've set and are continuing to set in uh, in music and in the industry and uh, certainly it'd be our hope that at some point not only are the borders open so we can have a, a skillet concert up here again in canada mm-hmm. for it's been a long time since ryan was last at a major gig <laughs> yeah. uh, he's in withdrawal and uh, <laughs> if you do if, if you do get up here uh, have you to the institute to address uh, some young people on the arts um, would be uh, would be absolutely marvelous. But we'll look forward to staying in touch with you and in touch with your ministry uh, and what God is doing uh, through you. And um, we hope that many of the young people will pick up your book, Awake and Alive to Truth, as well. John, thank you very, very much for being with us. I loved it. Thank you guys so much. Uh, to all of our audience, uh, don't forget, go to our website, uh, ezrainstitute.ca, where you can find out uh, more about our programs and our resources. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation Worldview Wednesday, reminding you, as always, that from him and through him and to him are all things. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time.